Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 52 to Ishigaki. Hi, Alex. Ishigaki, a slightly more off-the-beaten-path destination for this show, but there's a story behind it, which we'll get to later. I'm so very jealous that you've been to it, actually. I have, and I am completely in love with that whole place. <laughs> oh, my God. For many, many, many reasons. But the airport is one of those reasons, and I'll explain why towards the end of the show. But yes, Ishigaki, a tiny little island in the Okinawan archipelago that is now my favorite place in the world. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that before we started recording. Uh, yeah, so guys, we're sorry. We haven't recorded for like four or five weeks. The plan was that after our last episode, you know, we said that Alex was about to go on holidays and then I was about to travel for three weeks. And I'd say, oh, we're going to record one single episode just before Alex takes off. And of course, the day that we're supposed to do that, then uh, I think your family was sick, yeah. so you had to take care of them. And then when you came back, I also had an opening uh, to do a recording and uh, my kitchen got flooded and had uh, people actually refitting the entire floor and couldn't do it. So that explains the five weeks. But most of the explanation is about travel. Well, Ichigaki was one of the destinations. You've been to Hong Kong as well. You've been to Scandinavia. Yes, right? I went to Oslo. I went to Leeds. Oh, Leeds. Yeah, yeah. my plane as well. Yeah, My plane, I did. Yeah, that was interesting. I, my first domestic flight in the UK in a while, actually. But it was all smooth as silk. Very good operation. BA, of, I, they're getting a lot of, lot of stick lately, but I have to say the turns that I did with BA, especially short haul, weren't bad at all. Well, that's one of the topics of this podcast, actually, because, of course, we're going to talk about BA a little bit later, but uh, there's so many things we actually missed in not talking for five yeah. weeks. I've myself done, uh, what, what was it, with uh, Dubai, with BA, actually, I'll share that news later as well, in Madrid, because I go there monthly, what was it, Big and Ill Airport. Yes, South I want to hear more about this one. <laughs> That's that's a well. I'll, I'll dedicate one episode about the airport, but I'll tell the story about how I got there. I was also to Athens, obviously. Uh, I'm missing. I know I'm missing like a few other par Paris, Orly again, and a few others, Zurich and Frankfurt, and uh, you know, like a uh, lots lots of travels. And we're traveling again, so we're hoping that we'll be able to record another episode before five other weeks. So let's start with one number because it's a shout out I wanted to give for a long time to one of our very loyal listeners. David Greenwood is at Hi, my name is Dave on Twitter. He runs the blog called uh, Travel Stats Man. It's a really cool blog it's because every. Blog. I don't know if it's every week or so, but he like he puts like stats about uh, travel and air travel. And uh, I'm going to pick up on just one I think he did like a month ago, which says. Uh, there is almost $2 trillion of planes in our skies. When you think about it, that's pretty wow. staggering, actually. Yeah. Did that's an use, extraordinary number. He used the data from uh, air fleets and uh, Skytrax uh, airlines as well. Uh, he says that, of course, it's not fully scientific because there's clearly some data he's probably missing. Uh, of course, the most expensive plane in our skies is the A380, a plane that is still not setting very well. It's a very interesting blog post. I'll put uh, uh, the link in the show notes. He, he goes into like some details about uh, the cost per number of seats of like the 777, the 350, etc., etc. 350 that you just flew? 
Peru for the first time. I did. I actually went out of my way to do it. Went to Oslo for a speaking engagement, but I flew via Helsinki because I was so desperate to try the Finnair 350. And actually, it worked out being much cheaper to do a business class flight via Helsinki on the 350 than it did on, on BA Direct or SAS Direct. And it's obviously, you know, a wide body versus a narrow body. And I was impressed, more than impressed. It was just an extraordinary airplane, absolutely silent. Yeah, like, it is, right? It's just... <laughs> and when you go in... The plane was pretty empty because it's usually a low-capacity airplane, but the plane that I was on was 28 days old. And so they were still like peeling the stickers off and, you know, (laughs) unpacking the foam, you know, the protective layer that it came in, you know, all the boxes and everything. And the the pilots were so excited to show off the airplane that I got to spend a good chunk of time on the ground in the flight deck. That's I'm so jealous. As they you showed me a picture screen. of me. How did you do that? I just <laughs> kind of went up and said, "Can I take a picture?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, come look what happens when we press this button." And all of the camera views showed up on all of the monitors. And then they they showed me the crew rest area, the flight deck crew rest area. Which is this which little is like, located inside of the flight deck, right? No, it's not. It's it's just behind it. It's because okay. I thought the same thing. It's like the seven forty seven, but it, I think the seven forty seven is the only plane with it inside the cockpit door. This yeah, you is might be right, just actually, outside, yeah. up this sort of ladder, and it's like a little Japanese pod hotel, two seat pod hotel. And the captain said that it's the best one that he's ever experienced. It's silent. It's dark. They get really, really good rest, which is obviously oh, wow. very, very important. But yeah, that plane is is magnificent. The Finnair service and experience was great. I was really, really impressed. And I got to try the new Cathay first class lounge at Heathrow. Which so how was, was it? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's what a lounge should be like. That's what a lounge should be like. It was, if you've been to the pier in Hong Kong, the first class lounge there, do I mean the pier? Either way, the first class lounge in Hong Kong, you'll feel right at home. It was, it's not just the amenities. I, you know, there was a Betsy beer, which I didn't have because it's half past eight in the morning, but just the service and the attention to detail and the just quality of everything. Great view over the Terminal 3 apron and runway. Just wow. Really so great. So great. It's been open about five and a half months now. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, Cathay, so I'm flying to Hong Kong just after we record this show, actually. And uh, Cathay was obviously the choice I wanted to make. They are super expensive from London. So I was yeah. trying with, uh, I became like a, a master in ITA Matrix. <laughs> and I found actually pretty good deals like from Bergen and from other places in Eastern Europe where you could actually connect either in Dusseldorf and or in, what was it? Yeah, some London even sometimes. I know it's silly to fly to Eastern Europe to come back to London for us and then actually fly Cathay. But that would be like a third of the price. Which yeah, we're is talking actually, thousands and thousands of pounds in savings. Yeah. But in the end, I, I actually followed your lead because since you were telling me so much good things about Finnair, and I haven't flown Finnair for like at least 20 years. I used to go as a kid to Finland with Finnair because my mother was from there. Uh, well, I'm going to fly to Hong Kong in the 350. I uh, think not you'll my love first it. time, But no access to that lounge because I'm flying crazily enough because I also wanted to make a deal. I'm flying from Budapest. So Budapest to Helsinki, Helsinki to Hong uh, Hong Kong, so no access to that Cathay. I think Cathay Pacific is the airline that will always elude me or something. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you get to use the Cathay lounges and have a Betsy beer in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, I will. Uh, definitely I will. I'm flying back with BA for the Hack Horizon. I'll talk a little bit about it later. Uh, but I'm clearly going to uh, test all the freaking lounges I can in Hong Kong Yeah, for sure. and there are a lot of them. Cathay have a ton of them, and they're all fantastic. I think you'll really dig the Finnair 350. It's just, it's a really clean experience. It has the 
the best IFE interface, not necessarily content. I mean, Emirates, it's hard to beat, but the, but the yeah. interface. And the cool thing about it is the iOS app and the website and the IFE share a common UX. So it all oh, feels so cool. really familiar and obvious and intuitive. I, I was just super impressed. The only thing, and I told you this as well, the A350 made me feel a little bit motion sick. Yeah, you said queasy, right? Yeah, because and of... I, I, the only thing I can think of is that they have the oh, who's the seat manufacturer, the Zodiac business class seats, which are angled towards the the window. The same, same that Cathay Pacific Cathay, uses. Uh, they lack a few of the little bells and yeah, whistles that Cathay whistle, and American yeah, Airlines do, but exactly the same seat. And I had, of course, played with all of these cameras, these high definition cameras that they have. And so you're going slightly sideways, but you're looking forward through one of the cameras. And then I'm looking through my phone because I'm videoing the thing. And then after about 45 minutes of that, I was like, oh, God, I don't feel very well. <laughs> so I stopped that. But it's it's not the plane. It's me. Then again, the 350, along with you know, these newer Airbus planes, they have these fantastic cameras outside, oh, especially the so one with the tail. It replaces all the content you can have on IFE for me. It's just yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could just stare at that for hours and hours. So, yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to that. We both experienced something. So I was traveling to uh, Dubai with BA. Uh, first time long haul in business class. Oh, I'm what did you tell, think? Uh, I'm going to give them something. First, they were one of the first ones to move to uh, newer types of business seats. That was a long time ago. So yes. now, of course, they're laggards, right? I, I'm not convinced. Of course, you, you told the thing many times in this podcast about the fact that you have these kind of very strange, uh, you're looking at your neighbor uh, yeah. almost face to face. Yeah, you've got and, the, uh, the, the reverse tandem seats. It's, it is yes. a little weird the first time you experience and it. And they also kind of sell it as uh, you have a access. Well, I, have, I had window and it's not a true ale access. You still have to kind of, especially when your fellow passenger is, uh, is sleeping, you still have to kind of step over it, which is not a huge deal. Come on, let's first world problems. But it is a little weird, though. It's a little weird, especially that, you know, that separation to, I, I didn't care. I just put it up as soon as I seated. Of course, then like five minutes later, the, the flight attendant put it down and I was like, why do would you put it down? It's fine. I mean, I don't, I put it up again and then down again and up. And then they, they also have to kind of come to each and every seat and put the screen in front of you for you to see the safety procedures yeah. and then they come back to close it. Funnily enough, on the way back from Dubai, it was uh, 747. So I was oh, in the upper, uh, that was really, really, I had asked our friend Mark our pilot friend, if he was the pilot, but he was not. It was it was really great because that cabin is super small up there. I also opted for a window seat. Uh, funnily enough, they had the new uh, screens. They were much snappier, so I'm going to give them that. Uh, it's not the best IFE interface, uh, but it's okay. It was funny because since it was so new, uh, the crew had difficulties to actually put them back. They were they were they didn't oh, really? fit exactly exactly. But uh, anyway, it was first world problems. It's not the best business product. I just like I think I said in the last episode, I just uh, turned gold uh, for the first time in my life on BA. So you know what? I'm gonna try to keep gold for a year. Uh, the, maybe the cost of losing my Starlines gold. We'll see because I cannot do it all right. Um, so <laughs> that sounds like a challenge uh, to me. 
me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, you know, I have this kind of Excel spreadsheet where I put all my miles. And when I'm looking for a flight, I'm looking, okay, how many miles each of my possibilities will give me? And how far does it get me before I get renewed, etc.? I mean, it's just a nightmare. I mean, I lose so much time with this. Anyway, I liked it. I will say one thing. The crew, and it's not to bash BA, the crew on the inbound flight, so from London to Dubai, was not the most stellar I ever had. That's an understatement. The crew on the way back on the 747, so I was on a, a 777 to go to Dubai. The crew on the way back was absolutely stellar. It's really nice because it's a it's a night flight, so uh, they basically let you sleep as soon as you want if yeah, you want to. Nice. The, the food was actually pretty limited, They even though I was in business class, because they know that most of the people will just want to sleep because yes. it's only a six hours flight. I still took some things I wanted to try, you know, I was like, oh, to hell with it, you know, I'm not going to fly Jay on on BA every day, so I wanted to, to, to test the option. It was it was a very, very pleasant flight, and God, I will miss the 747 when he goes into retirement, because it's really a, such a fantastic plane. Yeah, it really <laughs> Just, is. So you're gold as well, and we both uh, had a similar experience. So when I was taking the flight, uh, it was my first time I was able to go uh, when you are at Terminal 5 at Heathrow, I said, oh, I'm going to go on the right side at the very end, and I'm going to try the first wing terminal. Well, I was not lucky because I arrived there. She tells me, uh, well, the first wing terminal opens tomorrow. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. come on, not really. But then a week later, I was flying to Orly, Paris, and although it was just a short little flight, I took that, and it's pretty good. It I is mean, good. It's, not, it's not the most amazing, you know, it's not a, probably Frankfurt uh, first-class terminal or something. It's really a wing, but it makes it so much easier, it does, it. it does make it easier. You kind of go through, and if you're hand luggage only like I was, and I'm sure that you were, you just breeze straight through to security, which is actually, you know what? It's I think it's the best designed in terms of just the way it looks and the, yeah, the, and the path, the, yeah. the path and the aesthetics of, of the yes. security that I've ever yes. seen in any airport. I agree. You know, so of course, there's hard, the traffic is low, or at least it was at the time of day that I went. And you are, and this is where they have Virgin Beat at Heathrow. You go straight through into the first class lounge. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge plus. Whereas in in Virgin, which you you know you've got the private check in and you've got private security, but then you go into the departure lounge and you have to walk through the duty free, and then you can go and find the Virgin lounge. But with this, you're straight into the lounge, and you know I. I <laughs> I sent you a message as soon as I went through saying, wow, you know, first wing is brilliant, but I think it really actually shows how dated and tired the BA first lounge is at Heathrow. Yeah, also, you know, it was my first times in these. I mean, not my first times. I was invited a few times by friends who I just stumbled upon at security at Heathrow. But it was the first time I truly enjoyed, you know, these first lunch by myself these last two times. The first one was great because it was 5 a.m. So that was no first <laughs> way. So I was the first. I was I was the second customer in the lounge. So the, wow. the, the thing was completely empty. Uh, and of course, I had like a lot of fun taking pictures and I tried like five different seats and there's no power on every seat. So that kind of stuff you can see like, you know, they will at some point get it right and upgrade it because nowadays you cannot not have power plugs at most of half of the seats. The food is a bit limited also for such a lounge when you compare with uh, other first class lounges. I haven't tried the cafe one uh, that you just talked about, but I'm sure it's actually much grander in terms of yeah, offering. But I mean, it's, it's a great. The problem that I found in the second time I went to that lounge with when was uh, when I went to Orly, it was that the lounge, if you go at regular hours and not at 5 a.m., uh, well, it's full, and it's really hard to find a seat. Yes. And uh, you're like, 
wow, I mean, everybody is gold, basically, or something, right? So that's a bit of the, the issue. Although, and you did that once, there's a possibility if you guys are flying on BA to go to the Concorde, which is your the first, the real first class lounge, which is only limited to people who have first class tickets and or a certain number of Avios per year, which is 2,500 yeah, or something. I think it's yeah. gold for life and, and you get a, a key to go into the Concorde room. And even the key, Concorde wow. room isn't, you know, it's okay. I think they'll find some time to do both of those lounges. It's a good experience to be able to enter to, yeah, an airport and be to directly go, in the To lounge. go straight through. And, you know, there's the reason why I went to the Cathay Lounge is because I was flying on Finnair and Finnair out of Terminal 3. So, But yeah, I would pick okay. that lounge every single day. Although, because you can go in if you're on American, even though the American lounge is in Terminal 3 as well. What do they call them? Admiral's Club? Correct, yes. If I'd been to the Cathay Lounge, I've been in the, the Admiral's Club... <laughs> It's not even a competition. It's newer, so they've, of course they've built built an advantage, but that secret's going to get out pretty quickly, and then it will be absolutely yeah. rammed. Anyway, I had also had you know the uh, the talk. So I was seated. I think I was going from Madrid to London. I uh, I went there with Swiss. Uh, I flew twice again to Bombardier. I was super happy the CS hundred, and then <sighs> I went back from Madrid to London via BA. And you know I was seated there, and suddenly this the flight attendant came sits next to me and starts like going on like what the hell is going on and actually she was simply reciting but very well done reciting the welcome you're now a very valued customer because I just got gold oh, right that's it was cool I don't like uh, certainly didn't get that when I turned gold yeah I, I did appreciate that I mean you could clearly feel that of course it was something she learned because you know I'm sure there's a, some kind of script but it was done very heartfully and she was looking straight into the eye again training but it was not in a way that it was not robotic it was really a felt like oh this is nice thank you and then of course like, i don't know how many bottles of champagne she tried to give me i'm like you know it's just like a two-hour flight i'm like yeah come on have another one it's the weekend coming up I'm like that's oh my cool God. <laughs> i mean good for them i i have to say that the premium cabin short haul ever since they've done the the buy on board thing i've oh, noticed an, a noticeable yeah. spike in the quality of of the soft product on my return leg from oslo on ba the club euro cabin was four rows deep, I think, and completely full. And the the flight attendant manning that cabin by herself addressed every single customer by name, but was, but wasn't looking at a piece of paper. So she would go back into the galley, know who she was going to come and talk to next, remember their name, and then address us by name. I was really impressed with that. I thought that was. Such a small thing, but it took quite a lot of effort and patience and concentration to do. And she just did a, yeah, a really yeah, great a, job to yeah, the point where actually, I mentioned it on Twitter and said, to BA, please make sure that you tell this person they did a great job. Yeah, actually, you know, I flew uh, from Madrid to London with Iberia the other day. As I just said, I'm flying now monthly there. And uh, so it was an Iberia flight, which was really cool. It was a, a 3.30. So it was like, a oh. you know, a big white body for like a two-hour flight. And it had like I was in business. So I had like a full life flat, which... Honestly, I could see myself flying to long distances. There's a few quirks that don't really work. Like there's no, you know, they actually leave the menu and all the magazines on the seat because it's actually not really a place to fit them in any storage, which you like, who came up with the design of the seat where there's no actual storage to put like the magazine, right? Or the, right. <laughs> anyway, the flight attendant came to me and said, oh, welcome, Mr. And that's the thing I wanted to say. I always say, just call me Paul because they always like, oh my God, you can see sometimes they look in their face says, I will fuck this one up. This guy name is Greek. I don't know how to pronounce it. And I, I just like, now, I, even without them starting, I look at them and say, just call me Paul. And they're like, sometimes there's like this huge relief or something. <laughs> 
that reminds me that Qatar Airways, which I haven't taken for a few months, have uh, the, each and every uh, flight attendant has a, an iPad. I think it's an iPad Mini, which has all your information, uh, seat and everything. Yep. In the uh, so it's less, of course, they, they say your name in front of you. But uh, the reason I mentioned that is you just said that there's an integration in Finair between all the stuff, and you also said that you really liked the the app, yes. which I haven't really tried yet. I will try it. We'll maybe talk about Very it. Very impressive. Time. I mean, the app is 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 normal for uh, if you don't have any flights in there but once you have your flight in there it's it's just really clever ui ux and then the ancillary information it brings in to complement your actual itinerary is fun and well thought out so uh guitar airways you know we talked about the thing in the previous episode they're releasing this uh, q suite so this new and they i really love the tagline first in business clever. Uh, this is, so very clever. clever it's very very clever uh and they had a, a, a press conference with uh, our dear al baker <laughs> i think it was uh, a week ago i actually stumbled upon because it was on Snapchat. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to look on Snapchat. They were tidbits of the conference. And they also are uh, revamping their website, revamping the app, which up to now was so-so, and revamping the IFE, their Onyx, I think it's called, with more content. I think they're matching, or they want to match Emirates in terms of the number of, uh, of options you have there. But the UI looks pretty cool. I haven't tried it yet, so I'm not going to say it's great without having tried it, but it looks like they also are aiming at this kind of convergence of all the UIs resembling each other it so you know where sense, you are. It makes doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm amazed absolutely. that it's taken us this long to make that a thing. There's one quote that I remember from uh, Al Baker. He said uh, about the seat, he said, you don't need to get into anybody's residence. You can create your own residence. <laughs> it's such a <laughs> dig at like Eddie Hart, right? dig. <laughs> Gotta love him for he's entertaining always. The other app that is pretty cool, and I'm sorry guys because we're still talking about our travels like 20 minutes in the show. BA has introduced our timeline view. When you click on it, you have all the information at what time you should be at the airport, at what time you should uh, you know uh, drop your bags, where you should go, uh, maps of it's, the uh, of the terminal. That's really it is good. They've done a good job with it. The other thing I really like about BA, and I think I've said it once a long time ago, is that. You go on the option Wi-Fi password in the lounge, and you just copy-paste it, and then there you go. You yeah, have the, the password so for the lounge. Easier. Yeah, exactly. Instead of having some code to have, you know, the printout when you get in, yeah. which Swiss or Lufthansa are doing, which is fine. But, I mean, it's just much simpler. You sit down. You, I mean, it just works. Anyway, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about travels in a little bit. Let's move on to uh, our first topic. Uh, so I just said that the number I started with was uh, $2 trillion. I don't know if $2 trillion will be the, or is, because it has been settled, the amount that United paid to that Mr. Dow, who was reaccommodated in a recent flight from United. What a story. I think all our listeners must have heard about it. I think half of the planet must have heard about that one. Before I go on on our rant, what did you think about this old predicament? You're right about the whole planet because I mentioned it during my speech in Norway and it got a big laugh. So everybody knew. Everybody knows. <laughs> it's crazy. I think it's incredible that there are people who are like, well, there's two sides to every story. They kicked his nah. ass. They, they kicked <laughs> his ass. And it's disgusting and shameful. And I think they realized that. But the fact that they tried to go, well, yeah, well, he was being a dick. So we beat his ass. Uh, yeah, thank you. It's just the most amazing thing. And, you know, I think, 
United have come to their senses, but it's way too late. And the fact that they settled so quickly makes me think it was an extraordinary amount of money. They wanted to kill it as soon. I mean, they didn't kill it. Like you said, the the biggest, I mean, first of all, I'm going to say it's not a PR problem. Let's attack the PR angle first. Everything is being filmed in place. Now, we had like that guy who filmed the crash landing of Emirates a few months ago. So you cannot escape no. having this video coming out. So this guy, for those who lived under a rock, this guy is seated in a plane from United Suddenly, uh, that's the story we've been told, uh, they had to find four seats for four employees for a crew that needed to be shifted to another airport for another later United flight. So they started asking people, would you agree to deplane? And they asked, I think they went up to 800 or $1,000. They had three, I think, that accepted for at various prices. I think it was one was 600 maybe the other one was 1000 Then nobody accepted. The rest said, no, I want to take this flight. So then apparently they used a computerized system, an algorithm, to decide who should be deplaned. And that Mr. Dao, uh, a doctor apparently, was singled out as the guy who was being deplaned. He refused to be deplaned. They called some security from the airport to deplane him. They were very aggressive because the guy, oh, clearly the guy didn't want to, like, he was, you know, holding to his seats yeah. and the guy were kind of rude in the way they actually, so the guy ended up with a blotted nose or mouth, I don't remember. And then, you know, the PR angle is that this video comes out and nothing comes out of United. And suddenly the only thing that comes out for Munoz, the CEO of United, is that, yeah, he had to be reaccommodated. No, we're sorry. Not even like the PR BS that you usually get. Nothing. Like... It's normal. That's the way we do it. So, of course, the PR gets even worse. People are like, what the hell are you talking about? And only, like, I think three days later, Munoz did another PR statement where he said, okay, we were wrong. I mean, we'll assess the situation, basically. But that was too late by then. It was I way mean, too late. Way too and late. And even now, they've said that what we'll do for voluntary, and please remember, guys, this was involuntary. For voluntary, and I'm going to use the term on purpose, reaccommodation, I really love that term. <laughs> they will go up to $10,000. Something tells me they will never offer that no. price for crying out loud. Come on. It's just it's, words. It's the it, whole it's manifesto okay. they put out. It was like a 12-step thing to make sure this never <laughs> happens again. And it was like, it was all these platitudes that were just so, you know, we're setting up a committee to blah, 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 and we're doing you know, it was just absolute platitudes. They didn't mean anything. You're spot on about the 10 grand. This is a cultural problem within that organization. Uh, exactly. Where, thank where, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Because everybody was talking about a PR problem. Say, it's, guys, not it's not a, a PR, PR problem. problem. When, problem? When, when not a single person from your organization thought, we have to figure this problem out without involving A, the authorities, or B, allowing the authorities to do what they did. Because I think it's important to point out, United employees were not the ones that physically assaulted this man. They were security personnel, city of Chicago security personnel. That's an important thing to point out. But but no one from United thought, this isn't right. They're assaulting one of our passengers. Get off of him. Get off of him. And they're like, well, he needs to get off the plane. So, And you know, there's this whole stuff about listening to cabin crew and flight deck crew. And I absolutely believe and endorse that position. However, this was not one of those situations. <laughs> you know, Clearly, United is is a boon for shareholders. It's a company that makes a lot of money. And one of the things that allows them to make so much money, and I'll go for a few others later, but one of the things is the efficiency. It's true that the load factors are super high. They don't have any residency in, in the system, basically. So, yeah, they needed four seats and they don't have four seats. Where I don't agree that it's efficient is that if they really knew they needed four seats, you do that before you actually board people. You don't wait until everybody's seated. I know it could be a last minute. I know that the numbers of reaccommodations is low. I mean, 
in any US airline, in any of the major three, it's slow. We're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of people yeah. every day or something, right? But still, it's not efficient to have someone to have Alex Hunter or Paul seated already, ready to depart. And then they say, oh, by the way, guys, a computer told us that you have to deplane. This is not human at all. This is a machine. This is, and I, I get it. The machine makes a lot of money, right? And the, the shareholders are super happy. And, and the, the wrongest thing here is that as a message, let's talk back PR a little bit, is that it's not even that, well, there were four other passengers that needed for some emergency. It's like they needed it for crew. So yeah. they, they're even telling you that, well, our employees are more valuable than you as a customer who paid your ticket. Yeah. I mean, ah, duh. It's, I mean, it's, I get it's it. horrific. They needed, and they've, uh, you know, you see people, conversations on Twitter or on all of the armchair quarterbacking, armchair CEO forums where like, well, but <laughs> this. And every single one of them is invalid, <laughs> frankly, as no. far as I'm concerned. This is inexcusable. And the fact Absolutely. that they backtracked and now have settled so quickly means they fully acknowledge that it is inexcusable. Yeah. And like you said at the beginning of the rant, it's a corporate culture problem. It's not a PR problem. They have yeah. – usually corporate culture is rotten from the top. So I'm not going to single out here Munoz. I think it's something that predates him. It's uh, Yeah, I, I agree. Think that, I like Munoz. I think I think he didn't handle yeah. this well, but I don't, I don't imagine it was entirely in his hands. No. I, I think there's a culture of entitlement, which is not only at United. Probably United is the worst in terms of customer care because we know that, you know, you have a problem. You call them on Twitter and they basically say, oh, we're very sorry. Have a good flight. You're like, thank you for all to the problem I just mentioned to you, which yeah. is why I don't fly United, by the way, you know, guys. But I think that the entitlement comes, and I'm, what I'm going to say here is going to be controversial, and some people will hate me for that, and I'm sorry if I do. I don't think that airlines, I, I don't believe in the theory of too big to fail. So basically, I don't think that banks should have been helped in 2008. I don't believe that automakers should have been bailed or helped. And I don't think that actually airlines should have had this massive help after 9-11. I know now people are just going to hate me, and half of our listeners mm-hmm. will actually flame me. But I don't think, I think the market is big enough to actually solve itself. When you have a company that arrives at a a moment of truth, well, it might disappear or it might not. And then something else comes up, which might be Southwest, which might be Virgin America, which might be, I don't know, Alaska, which might be Spirit, which might be EasyJet. I don't know which one, but you let the market forces. What happened is, I think, and especially since the that was another mistake, I guess, in the US, it's the antitrust allowed Continental to merge with United. It's almost a monopoly. They own the market and nothing else can be done. The smaller players, which we can be reminded in when we talk about all the things against the ME3, against Norwegians, they always like, yeah, well, we're okay with Norwegian, we're okay with you know Emirates and, and Qatar. Only the big three, they actually want to own the market and they really truly own it. The other thing that is not true is people say, yeah, but you know, the, the market has been unregulated since you know the Reagan years. It's not really true. Come on. It's airline not is not unregulated by definition, you know, safety and etc. But there's a lot of stuff that is regulated. There are even subsidies, you know, and I get it. I'm not going to criticize small airports, but you have federal subsidies that are basically uh, helping smaller cities get connections. And these are always given to the three big ones. And basically, they could fly the flights empty and they could still make money. That's a very big subsidy, which, by the way, Spirit and the others can never get access to. The same thing happens with airports lobbyism or getting the gate access and etc. It's always this concentration. This is where you get the culture of entitlement because you say, 
If we fail, something and someone will help us. And by the way, it's a computer decided. It becomes a machine. So yeah. there's no human involved. It's exactly the opposite of what you guys created at Virgin America. When you said we're going to take care of the customer, it's a human being. We, you know, we're, we're going to try to make a happy experience. This is just a machine. You're a number. If your number goes into the machine and you're not lucky, well, you go out of your plane and we're going to even hit your face on the way down. Yeah. Come on. What the hell? I, I don't I don't blame uh, United's uh, crew. Of course, in that case, Case, I have some blame, but we've seen other stories. You know, you've seen recently, I think it was an American airline, this uh, flight attendant who hit a mother with a stroller. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Stuff like that. And uh, we've seen TSA agents being overly rude or there was a story of a pat down of a seven-year-old who was like extreme vetting of a seven-year-old yeah. like, well, like for 25 minutes. And it's all, of course, filmed. I think, you know, I don't know if you guys, and maybe Alex, you know this, the Stanford experiment, which was done yeah. in the 60s, where you put like regular people in a prison, in a jail, and you assign half of them and say, you're going to be cellmates, and the other half are going to be guards. And over time, very quickly, people who are guards become authoritarian, becomes mm-hmm. like having reflexes that even maybe me, Paul, or you, Alex, might have, you were put in that situation. And I think this is what happens without competition in the US, with a sense of entitlement of these three big companies. Maybe they're good people and good mothers and good fathers, and suddenly yeah. they have all authority, and they put strollers in your face or hitting you in the face and say, "Oh, you should get on my plane." And in that story, the stroller, this other flight attendant comes and says, "Come hit me, hit me." Yeah, I mean, what? it was a strange. I mean, what? Let, what? I think it's important to go on on record and say flight attendants have a tough job, Correct. You're right. especially yeah, on yes. quick turn, short hop, high density, low margin flights. I, I think that they've got a tough job and 99.999% of them, you know, handle it with grace and dignity. And I think that, the, but but United has a has an unusually high instance of, and American major carriers in general seem to have this unusually high instance of, of failure. And I'd never thought about your, your theory of too big to fail breeds a, a sense of invincibility. Like it doesn't matter how badly we suck because we're too big to fail. And, you know, we've seen big American airlines go under or be absorbed into other giant carriers. I almost wish it would happen to, but unfortunately, the reverse is happening. They're gobbling up the nimble ones. And this isn't, this isn't Virgin America sour grapes. I'm kind of over that. It's just the state of play where you've got four carriers owning what eighty four plus percent of the capacity. Yeah, we said we said that in a previous episode. Would you compare with other? I know the United States is a single market, and Europe or Asia are like more you know fragmented. But it's really a few airlines that hold the entire route. Yeah, and this know, this isn't isn't a low quality thing. When you go on Ryanair, you know you're going to get low quality, but they're not going to physically abuse you. And again, you know, a lot of people go on United Airlines flights and are not physically abused, and that's wonderful. But but this is a a company that pitches itself as premium. Friendly skies, what were some? The friendly skies, yeah. As, but it's premium, right? Yeah. This yeah, is a premium. Yeah. This is not a, an ultra low-cost carrier where it's it's kind of a Walmart experience. This is supposed to be a good airline. And I'm not suggesting that when you get on Ryanair, you have a higher expectation for being abused. You just don't expect frills, and that's fine. But this, these are totally separate issues. And it, I don't know what Munoz or anybody else in that organization can do to eliminate that because that takes a generation of, of culture change. It doesn't happen overnight. I think competition, but let me add one but thing. But there's no competition. The, that's but that's the, the thing. Kicker. But that's the thing. Because again, the lobbying in a, 
guys, you know, I used to be a lobbyist, not in the airline industry. I know how it works. And, you know, again, the shareholders are super happy. United makes like a lot, a lot of money because they're super efficient and I get it. But this is not, let me, let, let me defend the crew because before I, I, I kind of rumble uh, over them. Chapter 11. So I get the chapter 11. Chapter 11 are fines. But the judges who say it's okay to allow United to do the biggest, basically, bankruptcy of pension ever and to basically say to all the employees, including Freight Cruise, oh, you've been working here for 20 years. By the way, your pension is now gone, is bankrupt. Well, there's a new United with your pension. How do you think you feel as an employee? How do you think yeah. you feel as an employee when you basically told that? I've met two American Airlines flight crew were flying from ORD, so Chicago to London, and I met them over a private dinner. I think I already told the story. It was about a year ago. And they were telling me that they don't get any food. They don't get any food. and They have to scrape whatever leftovers are from the passengers. How do you think... In what state of mind they are when they have to deal with all the shit? Because I don't know this, Mr. Dow. Probably, maybe some people say he's not a good person. I don't care. The, the problem is you cannot expect your employees to wanting to defend and to be proud of working in an airline. If you're actually are, you have no pension and you're, the state is fine with that. You have no food in the airplane. And every time you do a mistake, the only thing you risk is suspension. And the flight just goes on and take more shareholder value. I mean, this is insane, yeah. honestly. So I I don't know how to solve it either. I think competition is the only way. By the way, I just mentioned a regulated versus unregulated market. If you look at one of the best success stories in U.S. airlines is Southwest. Why? Because before Reagan, you know, unregulated the market... It was only between states, but like Southwest was born in Texas, which was big enough to have flights within the state, and there was no regulation. And Southwest, which is a fine airline, was born in a state of non-regulation. This is a little bit of the same of a lot of very small but good airlines that were born out of uh, flying from LA to San Francisco, because again, no regulation. And there was competition, and somebody won, and they offered a good service. At some point, the U.S. will have to accept that, I don't know, if, if it's about raising the cap of foreign ownership or something to allow another player to get I into think the that's, market. I think that is – you nailed it with that, because even if there was deregulation and that barrier to entry was removed, it's still – you would need more capital than probably any other industry in the world to start something up that's going to cause yeah. a dent. It's not like – the startup world, and you you know you see so many people go. Oh, I'm just gonna start an airline because I got pissed off at United or America, <laughs> dude. It trust me, it does not work yeah, like you've that. Done that. You yeah. need hundreds of millions of dollars, unlimited patience, and have a good product. And even if you don't, the first five years of your existence, the majors are going to throw everything they've got at you: marketing dollars, capacity. Lobbying lobbying to make sure that you fail. And, Absolutely. you know, if, if that's where we are, then the American experience is going to get worse and worse and worse, especially yeah. when you allow the consolidation of capacity into four or five major players. Now, God bless Southwest, because for the most part, they are a customer-centric organization, and I think yeah. they continue to put pressure on but that's a big burden to bear for a single carrier because there's maybe JetBlue. But JetBlue, in the big scheme of things, are microscopic. Exactly. They're very small. But they should be, I don't know. I mean, we're not, at least I am not a specialist enough in the U.S. market. But uh, clearly, there's too much consolidation. The United Continental merger was, by the way, if you read if you read back, just go online. You'll find a lot of scholars that were saying, no, you shouldn't do it. That will be too much consolation. That's one step too far. Clearly, it was past 9-11. All the airlines were having issues, but that clearly shows today. We have the result that that one step too far. 
Another result that we'll get there in a minute, unless you have anything you want to add about the story. No, I, think I just think the whole thing is sad. I think it's it, oh, yeah, it, well, it's yeah. sad for everybody involved. And again, I think I, I really want to hammer this point home. I have no issue with any of the United flight attendants. I, I think yeah. that they've got a really, really uh, tough, tough job yes. in a tough situation. I just think it was a sad reflection of, of the United States travel industry in general. I do agree. I'm going to just say a number which will allow us to actually move on to our next topic, which is not also very fun, but the average cost per seat per mile on on airlines, United Airlines, $12.50, BA as a reference, $7.13, that's already almost half, and Norwegian, five cents. How Uh, is that that even possible? but that also tells you about... So first of all, before going to Norwegian, the fact that United is at 12.50... Of course, this number alone is not enough. You should have also the number, which is the revenue per, uh, seat, per seat per mile, clearly. But it shows that there's a wide margin of potential competition in there. Because if an airline has $12.50 as a benchmark and makes so much money and the shareholders are so happy, it means that... Clearly, there's room for other airlines to enter the market. I'm not talking Norwegian. It could be anyone. It could be Spirit. It could be Southwest. It could be a new airline we haven't heard about. But there's room for competition in the U.S., clearly. The other thing that a lot of people suspect is that clearly the new electronics ban, so this time it's not about the travel ban or the Trump administration, but electronics ban, is um, a bit biased towards the three American airlines. Yeah. Do you want to say what is the electronics ban, maybe? Yeah, I, I, I keep forgetting that we haven't recorded since this has been instituted, but it was initially a, you cannot take your laptop or iPad on board the actual cabin from any flights originating. It was originally a handful of countries, but it's expanded exponentially to cover just about everybody going to the US from a whole host of countries. And there's even rumors that it's going to extend to all of Europe as well. Yes, exactly. So yep. what's happened is, you you know, everybody listening here probably travels with their laptop in the cabin. You get a little work done and you watch a movie or episode of Family Guy or whatever. You cannot do that anymore if you're coming from this list of countries or, more importantly, are flying on one of their airlines. Yeah, the- so that's the thing. So that's the so the well, let's look first at the U.S. because other countries have implemented. So the U.S. at first it was clearly Middle Eastern countries, all right. Yeah, and they've included uh, basically Ab- yeah, exactly Abu Dhabi, Doha, and Dubai. So Emirates, Qatar, and, and Etihad were clearly affected, and they said. Well, you cannot take anything that is bigger than basically a phone, mm-hmm. uh, an iPhone Plus or S8 Plus, whatever, which is not the size of the iPad mini, but this is fine. The rest, even a camera. So if you have a camera, it's not fine. If you have like, I don't know, like an air dryer, what would you have an air dryer? <laughs> All this is in the hold, which first is a bit of a safety issue. Do you, do you trust putting your $3,000 camera in the hold? I'm not sure. I'm not even saying about getting stolen, maybe getting too shaken up. You're not allowed. That goes from countries, I think, flying from Lebanon, uh, Egypt, Jordan. I don't have the countries in front of me, but you you can just look them up. And Royal Jordanian was the airline that basically spilled the beans too soon because they put out a tweet, and apparently the the information was embargoed, and the U.S. actually, you know, scolded Royal Jordanian, saying, oh, well, you were basically tipping off the terrorists. I mean, what the hell? But anyway, so this is done. Uh, Yeah, and uh, importantly, Turkey as well, Istanbul. uh, Turkey is actually suffering a lot because of that. So... uh, yeah, two weeks later, the UK does the same thing uh, by saying, well, the same countries, but not 
Doha, not Abu Dhabi, and not Dubai. And currently, the third country who has implemented it is Australia, but Australia is not forbidding electronics just yet. They're just saying we're going to do extreme vetting on randomized. I'm not sure it's actually randomized, but let's take their word for it. Randomized passengers flying from all these uh, places as well. They may be not doing electronics ban because I think Qantas relies way too much on uh, Dubai to have yeah. like all their... <laughs> anyway, the thing is that for the US electronics ban, if you fly Emirates, let's take these three countries where most people fly, uh, these three airports. If you fly Emirates, Qatar, or Etihad, you're not supposed to take your or let's take Istanbul as well. You're not supposed to take anything but a phone. If you fly a US airline, you're fine. See, that's where this whole thing falls apart because for the longest time, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt. I thought the intelligence community clearly knows something that we don't. There Correct. is a, an active and imminent threat in some way or another. And yes, this is inconvenient, but this is a big thing to force on airlines. And then that whole thing just makes it fall apart with the exclusion of the U.S. airlines because they're going from the same airports to the same places in the U.S. as those other carriers, but they are exempt from this ban. And that's where it's just ridiculous. And also, you know, what, what was for me what is a bit strange is that so Dubai has U.S. staff working for U.S. bound aircraft, whether it's Emirates or any other. Right. And the worst is even Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi has pre-clearance, so you can actually clear immigration in Abu Dhabi. And the entire operation for any U.S. bound flight is fully staffed and vetted by the U.S. So basically what the administration is saying there is that they don't even trust their own guys in Abu Dhabi, unless it's a U.S. flight, which kind of tells me this White House meetings that were happening happening with the airlines so maybe they they got a something like a get out of jail card and say oh they're not for us or something i don't know i don't know the airlines have reacted again royal air jordanian was really fun because they've done a lot of tweets you know what can you do in a flight without a laptop you can look strangely at your you know fellow passenger you can read a book you can dream you can watch the skies i mean look them up they're really fun clearly you know they don't have the means of the major airlines so they're trying more of the pr angle but it's actually pretty good they've also yeah since i'm they've also released that ad the other day You've seen it, right? Stunning ad. Really, I mean, it it could be for anybody. It doesn't even really have anything to do with flying, but it's about racial profiling on an airplane. And it's it's a very, I encourage you to watch it. I'm not going to, to give it away, but it's it's yeah. worth it's very powerful. Forty five seconds of your time to watch this. It's good storytelling. It's well done. It's something that I think we're all guilty of, and it's yeah. Of, we, I I put it on the wall of our Facebook layovers. Yeah, uh, it's just great work, and also on 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 Twitter. I think the airline that is hit the most in all that thing is Turkish because Turkish has the worst of everything. So the UK tells them electronics ban. The US tells them electronics ban. You know, Turkish is this big operation. I mean, they have the largest number of destinations in the world, and so. It's a big hub, although the hub itself is a bit, uh, I mean, thank God for their new airport next year. What they've done, they offer you to go to the gate. You keep your laptop until the last minute or your iPad or whatever, and they will put it in cases. I've seen the pictures online where they do. They have these, you know, like a gear for music cases yeah. with like a foam. Uh, and they put like several. So, of course, my laptop will live with yours while we fly, Alex. And once you reach destination in the U.S., because let's not forget, this travel ban only goes one way to the U.S., not the other way. Well, you can uh, get your laptop or device back. Emirates has offered uh, a similar thing. They were the first one to offer this. It's not in uh, such cases. It's more like in individual bags. So they will bag in front of you, Alex, your laptop, your camera, whatever, put it in a bag. When you land, let's say, at 
uh, JFK. Emirates crew will deliver the bag to you personally and open it in front of you to make sure everything is there. So it doesn't, it doesn't, of course, allow you to use your own laptop, mm. but at least your stuff is safe. Some airlines has also proposed to offer you a laptop, but I mean, offer me a laptop. I don't have my stuff on yeah, it. Yeah, it's pointless. I? Yeah, but here's I don't. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm oversimplifying or overlooking some massive component here, but if someone is going to use a laptop for nefarious purposes and have modified it accordingly to do something terrible, does it matter where on the plane it is? It's still going to be catastrophic when it happens. I, I don't... I think what they said, and again, because you're right to say that earlier, we do not know better. There is probably information around from intelligence agencies. I know something we don't. So I'm not pestering against that. The The lecture of this information apparently is different in the US, in the UK, in Australia, but there is something. What they're afraid of, what I've read, is that terrorists, potential terrorists, would actually put different bits and pieces in different devices. So let's say one in a MacBook Pro and the next in your camera and assemble them in the plane. And allowing you a single device just prevents them to assemble anything. So not assembled, it doesn't look like anything, right. which would not be seen on X-ray uh, when you pass security. So fair enough. I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 I get but that's that the now. point. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. It's true that some people say, oh, having all these lithium batteries suddenly in the hold, what happens? Oh, well, there's that too. I mean, <laughs> well, anyway. Well, I haven't flown to the US uh, with any other carriers from these cities. Uh, of course, I'm not planning to. There's a story that uh, Emirates is cutting down 25%. Uh, they say it's both because of uh, lesser interest in the US. We've heard since the travel ban, not the electronics ban, but maybe this has to go with it. Funnily enough, obviously, the Association for Bullshit Air in the US, whatever, the, <laughs> the US3, sorry, for I'm, I'm being very dismissive here. They put out a PR release saying, look, that's the proof that they are being subsidized. I'm like, come on, guys. Anyway, if any of our listeners has actually taken a plane from any of these places to the US, to the UK, or to Australia even, let us know if you've had any experience in heavy difficulties or how, if you bagged your stuff with Emirates or Turkish, then is how it went. Like Emirates said, you know, they put like Jennifer Aniston again on, on the ad and say, well, you can watch our 3,500 movies or something while not having to work on your laptop. Yeah. Ah, no, so let's go back to uh, my number, $2 trillion. Uh, do you think that IAG, parents' company of BA, paid that amount to uh, design the new logo of <laughs> To level. No, <laughs> no. But... Uh, <laughs> Giving back my MS Paint, you know, the yeah, 90s are coming back. I'm, I mean, it's fine. And I think for anything else, we would we would probably just dismiss it immediately but for this we have to shred it this is ihg's new lcc long haul which is basically an offshoot of iberia so they're going to be doing uh barcelona to a few places around the world including oakland and san francisco so that immediately caught my attention but barcelona to buenos aires la oakland Cana. and they say sorry to interrupt they say that uh buenos aires santiago havana tokyo Tokyo, Tokyo might be yeah, included yeah. at some point uh, this, as well. This is this uh, this is part of IHE's new strategy, and it's low cost. It's kind of the Norwegian model. The prices are pretty pretty low. I think it was like 189 pounds to to Oakland and or San Francisco. But the more I've been thinking about it, and the more I have looked at this IAG strategy and BA strategy in the midst of all the cost cutting for BA and the degradation in the quality of the hard product and the food. And we're all like, Cruz, what are you doing to the airline? You know, 
<laughs> it's starting to show the blossom or the buds from the ground. And I've sort of stood I back agree. and gone, wait a minute, wait a minute. This might actually work. Work. Yes, I They're agree. They're onto something here. And yeah, I agree. I th- you know, I am, I am happy to say, I think I'm going to be hugely wrong on this, uh, what I said about BA and IAG in the past, because this... You start to see the quality of what they're doing come out in the BA premium experience. They've announced a heavy investment in the business classic product. And then this, which, yeah, the name is stupid and the logo is stupid. (laughs) But they've clearly seen the writing on the wall with Norwegian and other people coming in long haul, low cost. And they're experimenting with, with not surplus isn't the right word, but with a little bit of spare capacity, a couple of A330s. And it's got a lot of PR. It seems good to one, have actually, been, yeah. yeah, a lot of really good PR. I think it's it's proven to be popular in terms of ticket sales as well. So this yeah. might be a masterstroke, and we might be seeing. They haven't done a good job of telling the story for the broader IAG strategy, but it's really starting to come to life. And and more power to them as long as they can keep the differentiation between BA as a quote unquote premium yeah product. I think and I, I th- and the rest of the the portfolio. I think you're absolutely right. Of course, it's easy. That was an easy shot. Sorry, guys. Of course, because that logo was like Gap when they remade their logo. It was like and the name Level. I mean, you yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure what it's supposed to be. wings and yeah, Level. You know, I'm gonna fly Level, but I hope you're gonna fly Level. I'm not gonna hope yeah, yeah. Balances, but but uh, but I, on the strategy, I fully agree with you. You said very well that you've seen yourself an increase in quality in front of the cabin B, and I think really that's their plan. They're pushing, they're trying to make you feel better if you, of course, are a premium passenger. Sorry, because that's only like maybe 5% of all of us all. And then we've said it already, you know, Norwegian and all these airlines are the future. The numbers I just gave you, the cost per seat right. per mile... I mean, this is where they need to go. They cannot survive if you have Norwegian. Norwegian just announced a route to to Singapore, by the way. Uh, it's not crazy inexpensive, but still, it's in that bracket of like 120 pounds. Level is offering Europe to the US one way $150. So we're like in the similar pricing. They are able to deliver a product which is no frills. People have the expectation. You said yourself earlier very well that when you fly Ryanair or even if you fly a re- EasyJet, you have expectations. Yeah. And if the expectation is called level, whatever the name is, I'll be fine with it more than if you've been, and I've not been myself, but if you've been a 20-year, you know, loyal BA customer and suddenly they offer you nothing, you're like, why the hell am I still paying these prices and why do I have status on this airline where I've got nothing offered? Yeah. So this is, I think this is a very good play. This is basically also the play that Air France is trying to do. They cannot because they have all the, the union problems, but because IAG has this Iberia problem, play they're able to like you say liberate some capacity and, and try and test and test the model and i think for the moment of course because they were introductory prices i don't know if the prices will hold in the future but they were very successful at setting loose they're starting to fly uh, june 1st so it's exactly in a month los angeles uh, twice a week oakland uh, thrice a week punta cana twice a week june 10th and buenos aires june 17th three times a week these are the first four flights i mean why not? Yes. I'm sure they're going to actually make money. I'm not sure about the price structure. I don't know if they have employed XBA or Iberia people. They're all they're Iberia all brand people. New. Okay, so maybe the cost structure is clearly lower than yeah. BA. And they have to try. They have to try. Norwegian will eat their cake. Norwegian's model, no matter what people think, is it good, is it bad, is eating everybody's long-haul cake. Yeah. And others will come. You know, you, you flew Thomas Cook and others. They will, uh, they will come. Condor and all these guys. They will... 
there's no way for these traditional carriers in Europe to survive without having such a play. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So could end up being a strategic masterstroke for my AG. They have a premium economy. Uh, premium economy, and an economy yeah. and The basic and, and, economy and, and, looks there's fine. The there's Wi-Fi. There's, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, uh, I, I, is there IFE? I can't tell. Yeah, there's IFE. So, you know, for, that, for those prices, it's hard to beat. I'll endure it. I won't even endure it. It looks reasonably comfortable, and it's a la carte. So if I want to fly somewhere, somewhere nice, I'll fly on BA or Virgin across the pond. And if, it's, if I just want to get there uh, and be able to pick and choose from the amenities that are available to me, then I'll fly these guys. Yeah, and they've done, I think there's four different levels of economy pricings. I think level, basic plus, optimal, and flexible. And then there's two uh, pricing for premium economy. One I think is promotional, the other is uh, flexible. There's IFE in every seat, like you said, and you know, and it's very transparent. You know, you go to the website and you see clearly what you're buying, the amenity, like the expectations are set. You know, I will try. Yeah, I'll absolutely try as well. So did you try Marks and Spencer food on BA or no? Not I was in Club Europe and Club Europe you get a meal anyway that's that's not Brian Boyd. But I did have a flick through the the brochure or the menu items that you can get and they look good. I don't know if they would be the same quality when it appeared in front of you, but I will say this. On the back of the buy on board thing, they have introduced full meal service on domestic Club Europe, Club Europe flights on BA. So my Leeds flight was 40 minutes and they did a full meal service to every single person. It's crazy. And I said to the flight attendants, you know, you you guys have done an amazing job to smash this out in 40 minutes, 40 minutes block to block. So really maybe they had 20 minutes to actually give us once we were above 10,000 feet. And the food was very good. Okay. Very wow. good. It was, okay. you know, it wasn't anything huge. It was it was a, a, a salad or a panini. The panini looked average i had the salad and it was very very tasty i'm impressed i think they've done a good job i i have no idea what the marks and spencer saying if you, if you guys have tried it let us know it looks yeah, fine the, yeah it looks fine uh, how is the same i mean the menu was in front of me i also flew club europe so the menu was in front of me but i didn't try it but it looked good i mean of course i get that some people might be angry saying well the price hasn't really dropped and suddenly you ask us to buy food which is always a bit of i, I get it to be honest the year I, I get gold because i'm not going only going to fly for a freaking business class yeah i'm like hesitating they're also adding two rows of seats on their 320 and 321 so yeah. of course that affects economy so less leg room they've had some teething problem with that marks and spencer i think there were a few flights in the beginning where there was not enough food for the entire flight so yeah but again again I'll give him some slack. I mean, it was the beginning, right? They had yeah. to, they had to try. I mean, the their, cool the thing is you can pay right? with your Avios as well. So it's like a, you know, it's like six hundred Avios for a sandwich or something like that. Yeah, I, I next time I, I don't know if I have any short haul BA flights coming up anytime soon, but I'm very sure that I will, and I'll, I'll give it a whirl. I'm a bit afraid for the leg room, but let's remember that. Uh, EasyJet, I think, has 30 or 31. Uh, Virgin, you guys have 32. JetBlue has 32, 33. Southwest, 31, 32. And I'm taking low cost to compare. Ryanair, I think, is 29, 30. So mm. we, basically, BA will have less than Ryanair and EasyJet, which is not a good signal. But, you know, well, let's see. I'm giving them, you know, they have to do something. We just said it. Uh, I know a lot of people are complaining. A lot of people complain. If you live in the UK, there's not a single day where you cannot open the Daily Mail, yeah. which is clearly not the paper you should read when you live in the UK. But anyway, where there's like people complaining about BA, there's been like no food, etc. But let, let them try. There was still a, a fun story. I think that the few, uh, 
Yeah, I think it was in March. <laughs> you remember you said the story about a BA flight that was uh, delayed because there was a small passenger yeah. that was not supposed to be. So this time it's not uh, an unknown passenger in the flight. This time it's a British Airways flight was delayed due to insufficient toilet paper. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so they were... <laughs> I think what happened is that there was not enough toilet paper, and then by the time they filled with the toilet paper, the duty time was over for the crew. So they had to kind of replace a new crew, and oh, basically no. that took forever. That's one of those things that you can't plan, and it just spirals yeah, well, out of control. But again, it's it's a sign that you know they're testing the limits of uh, cost cutting with the margins, and say, and probably they are still in that phase where they'll say, okay, what is the least amount of X we need to transport, and then they sometimes run out in these kind of problems because you know what, it was in Europe, so if everybody is four hours late, then you have the compensation system kicks in, and then actually it costs a lot of money to BA because everybody goes compensation, it's like four or six hundred euros per person, and then well, there you go. Maybe BA is actually happy about Brexit because then. They there won't be any compensation anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we don't talk only about bad news, but I mean, this just seemed to be happening this month. Uh, the other thing, basically, Alitalia is bankrupt. Uh, I mean, it's not news, right? Alitalia 2.0, because it was already a new Alitalia, yeah. which uh, 49% off was uh, Etihad's. Which maybe was that's the CEO of ATI is being booted because they knew that this is a really strategy going, didn't really going, work, yeah. did it? But you know what? Oh, by the way, before I go to ATI, you know, this strategy by acquisition is always something that, uh, you know, McKinsey consultants tell you. And it reminded me that Swiss, Swissair, sorry, Swissair was doing exactly that. They had bought Sabena, they had oh, bought yeah. like Air Littoral, a few airlines in France as well, following the advice of, uh, maybe it was not McKinsey, but following the advice of consultant, let's grow by acquisition. And it failed. And it looks like that Etihad, which is not in a such dire situation to be about to fail, has followed a similar strategy with our Serbia, our Berlin, etc., etc., and is actually now not succeeding at all, which is why the CEO might be replaced. The rumor is, uh, Christoph Müller, do you actually believe that? No. I think Christoph Muller's got a, a, yeah, a we do sweet say that, gig right? coming up in Emirates in a few years. But there was a rumor that was also said that there are backdoor negotiations of Etihad saying, well, we might not be able to forever compete with Emirates. And we're basically the same country. You know, one is Abu Dhabi, the other was in Dubai, which is like an hour drive. And uh, let's not forget that Abu Dhabi is the richest of all the seven Emirates in the United Arab Emirates. There's been some backdoors. I mean, we don't know. There might have been some backdoors. Let's say let's approach the two airlines. So either Emirates basically takes over Etihad or the two get some interlining agreements because they know at some point, like spending money. I mean, Emirates clearly is a profitable operation. Yeah. Etihad... Let's say we can discuss about that. So maybe Christoph Muller could actually have a play, but I'm not sure. I, I, I'm like you. I think this is a wrong rumor, but it was still done by the most uh, respected German uh, yeah. financial paper. So it's not something that we just found in a, <laughs> one of the, our forums that we keep going to. Uh, so back to Alitalia. So yeah, but basically, do you think Alitalia will actually survive this time? I, yeah, uh, well, probably not in this incarnation, but... I think they will survive. It's just going to take a lot to actually pull them out of the uh, out of the dirt. Frankly, it's, I think they were losing like a billion a month. Or some, no, a mil, uh, some crazy some, number, an extraordinary sorry. number. And I, they've tried everything, and they they put forward these cost cutting measures to the employees who roundly rejected them. And they said, "Okay, guys, well, we've got no other choice but to to go into administration." So, who knows what's going to happen now? 
And I'm not sure that anyone in Europe is actually interested to buy. No, why would you grasp grasp at a falling knife? I mean, it's yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, it's not a and thing. honestly, airlines have something else to do, like Lufthansa. We there were rumors, yeah. you know. But no, no. By the way, and then I'll go to one last news before we move into the airport. Uh, we have so many things because we'll do that in the next episode, guys. <laughs> the uh, very strangely, you know, I'm gold on miles and more. So Lufthansa's Star Alliance program. So they give me my new card, uh, and I was taking, yeah, I was going to Geneva and Zurich. Uh, so I go to, yeah, it was a lounge in Adithro, and I find this, oh, you're not central. It's like, yeah, of course I am. And I give my card. It was the new one. The first time I showed it, right. it says, yeah, but it's not the same number. It's the first time I realized that they have these two-year valid cards, right? The new card I received, although I never, you know, I was always senator, nothing happened, is a different number. Don't you think it's a That's bit strange? Str- that well, yeah, I me? mean, Virgin did the same thing. When you changed here, you get a Why? new number. Yeah, uh, but, not but when you were it's, I mean, it's just Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, so basically I have to go... How is there any continuity and- then? Exactly. Uh, my flight were counted, so it's fine, but I, 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 I don't understand. So I had to go manually edit my card number in Lufthansa's app and Swiss app to make sure that the next time at least I wouldn't have the... It's not a big deal, but I'm saying, why would they attribute me not the same numbers before um, the same tier, yeah. the same person, same address, etc. There's anyway. probably some legacy IT issue that prevents yeah, them from clearly. doing that. It's like, that's the excuse for everything. It's one of the things we might tackle uh, because by the time this episode will be recorded, I'll be probably just doing that. Hack Horizon, so it's something that's been brewing a team of young guys uh, between split between here in London and Hong Kong. I was saying, uh, Paul, they came to me like a year ago, Paul, we want to do a hackathon in a plane. I'll say, well, let's do this. Uh, but to make the story short, this week, because uh, we're recording today on May 1st, on May 6th uh, in Hong Kong, uh, we're going to have a tour of the uh, Hong Kong airport. <laughs> I'm so That's so, going to be so cool. Yeah. Uh, behind the doors to do some customer research because there's going to be 32 hackers. I'm not going to use the term hackers, but people freak out. Oh, they're going to hack the plane. This is not the point, guys. They're going to create prototypes. So they're going to cre- uh, mangle into teams uh, then we're going to do this visit of the hong kong airport and then uh, we have partnered with ba and we're flying the 380 back to uh london uh, we have the entire premium economy so thank you ba Very for having cool. we have also another partnership so first is with hong kong airport the other uh, partnership is with ethro we also get a visit of ethro at 4 30 a.m uh we're gonna get a few surprises i cannot tell about them i'll tell them after this is done at ethro the teams can do stuff and we'll have a final in london on may 8th on a monday night because we wanted people to attend if it was sunday people would have barbecues in the rain uh so it's gonna be a cool project this is one of the it's one of the ideas as it's basically of course the hackathon is in the plane but not only it happens before and after uh and this is one of the ideas you know these little things like loyalty problems like boarding you know why boarding is so screwed up you know at ether last time for instance the guy had to shout like well if you're bronze which is you know the lowest level of ba status if you're bronze please exit the priority queue because you have to board last of the priority so it becomes like this huge pain for airlines, how to deal in the U.S. now, they have like sometimes like 14 different, your know, section one, section two, section three, section four, section five, section six. You're like, where am I? So, I mean, maybe technology can help some of these things. I'll tell you guys more once this is done. I might even record, Alex will sadly not be with us, but I might be some interviews because we'll have, of course, people from Ethro, from BA, from uh, Hong Kong Airport, yeah, but also so from cool. CETA, uh, 
hackhorizon.com there's all these partners there i'll do i'll try to interview like very short interviews and do maybe an episode where there's just interviews of people talking about the future of our travel technology it's gonna be very fun i'm gonna report that on next week uh and i'm so happy to go to hong kong again i love it man <laughs> i'm so happy I, I understand why you love it so much it's uh, a very addictive place. i'm going in two weeks yeah. and i can't wait <laughs> i need to keep up with you i'm gonna i'm gonna find another reason to go soon <laughs> so uh before the airport the last one because you're going soon to Japan, uh, this time not on a holiday. And uh, you know that ANA uh, has already three uh, different uh, planes with uh, Star Wars yeah. uh, designs. And now they are doing C-3PO. So it's the fourth one. It's totally yellow. It's a Dreamliner Dash 9. It's actually glorious. So there, there's four. So three international ones which are BB-8, 3PO, and R2-T2. And the one in Japan has one side R2-T2 and one side BB-8, if I remember correctly. So that's for, if you like Star Wars, you should fly a and yeah. I hope you, Alex, are going to fly that. Ishigaki, Ishigaki. tell me. So uh, I'd never heard about Ishigaki until there was a phenomenal, I mean, we may have talked about this in a previous episode, but there was a, there was a wonderful three-part BBC documentary series about... Japan as the sort of the geography and topography and wildlife of it, not necessarily the the culture or the food or the people. It was just incredible. And it focused on three main different areas of Japan. So there was one on Honshu, which is the main kind of to where Tokyo is, one on Hokkaido, so northern Japan and the I guess the more extreme weathers. And then on southern Japan, which extends so much further than I thought. And I also didn't know that so much of southern Japan, the Okinawan area and basically all of, of Kyushu is tropical. And it there's is. there's yes. there's yes. this warm ocean current that goes basically up all the way through the Japanese archipelago. And produces this beautiful warm water. And they showed some drone footage of Ishigaki. And it was crystal clear, tropical waters, coral reefs, manta rays, beautiful jellyfish. And I thought, one day I'm going to go there. We were going to Hong Kong as a family on, on vacation. And I thought, okay, we're doing two and a half weeks in Hong Kong. But let's let's do a side trip somewhere. I messaged a friend of mine who's a Cathay A350 pilot, an old school buddy of mine, Toby. And I said, hey, where are things going to go? And he's like, Ishigaki, go to Ishigaki. What What the hell? What? Yeah, Ishigaki, <laughs> just go. Go, 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 and thank me later. Best scuba diving in in Asia, lots of other, other wonderful reasons. So I started to look a little bit more and just we decided to go. It was that between that and D- Da Nang, Vietnam, and Ishigaki. And it's 1,700 kilometers south of Tokyo. Yeah, so it's, it's super, way, super small, yeah. way south. Off, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's close to Taiwan. So it has this blend of culture between traditional rural Japanese and, and a little bit of Taiwanese influence, especially when it comes to food. It has the best beef in Japan. None of this Kobe nonsense. Ishigaki beef. 80% of Ishigaki beef is... Ex- None of these Kobe nonsense. Kobe oh nonsense, God. yeah. And uh, which I read and thought, I'll be the judge of that because our friend Shin took us to the most extraordinary uh, yeah. Kobe beef experience in, to- in Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah, I can. Ishi- they're, they're right. You, you're going to go to Osaka. Yeah. You tell me after you go there, how was the beef there? I will. Uh, go go I, on Ishigaki, but just, just say. So Ishigaki, before I get onto the airport itself, is, is small. You can drive it in an hour from top to bottom. It was like everything they showed in the BBC documentary, plus more. Just beautiful coral reef beaches, wildlife and wilderness everywhere. 
small town with a busy port because of so much has to come and go from kind of main Japanese island. But the airport itself is only served by domestic Japanese carriers, except for Hong Kong Express. Hong Kong Express is the only international airline that serves Ishigaki incredibly. I still cannot believe it. I, I heard rumors that there's occasional China airline services from Taiwan, but I saw no evidence of those at the airport. The airport is only four years old. There was another airport that was built uh, around World War II and had grown to fill its geographic footprint. And it was right sort of in the middle of the downtown area. There was no way it could expand more. And the residents of Ishigaki were concerned that any further encroachment would damage those very, very valuable, environmentally valuable coral reef. And so they said, okay, let's let's build a new one. So they broke ground on 2009 in what they call New Ishigaki Airport, yeah, which is that's, that's in Japan. such they a Japanese uh, yeah, absolutely, title. Yeah. And I loved it. <laughs> But yeah, the original was built during World War II. It was, it was a, a Japanese army uh, thing. It was built by Korean laborers. So they built this new one uh, about half an hour's drive outside of Ishigaki town. And when they were building it, they found these ruins, these cave ruins, and they found bones from Paleolithic humans. 24,000-year-old wow. human remains. They're the oldest they've ever found in Japan. Of course, Japan's one of the oldest civilizations on Earth. And so they they stopped everything, airport and construction, excavated all this incredibly important kind of socio and archaeological uh, finds from, from the site, and then they cracked on with the airport. When they finished... <laughs> I love this. When they finished the, the airport, they built the uh, a giant kebab... <laughs> To celebrate it. <laughs> Not only was it giant, it was 107 meters long, made from Ishigaki beef, and it is now the longest, uh, it remains in the Guinness Book of World Records, the longest kebab, uh, <laughs> beating awesome. out the former record, world record holders in Lebanon, that. made purely of Ish Ishigaki beef. So it must have been the most delicious thing in the entire world. Uh, oh God. <laughs> I just love that story. I stumbled across that a few days ago. The airport itself is, the only word for it is adorable. It's got a pretty short runway. It's 6,500 feet long, which in my hometown of Livermore in California, their runway is 5,500 feet long. And that's, that's just... That's uh, two, two kilometers. Yeah, it's, that, that one's just for um, civilian recreational use. But it's served by ANA, and they fly in a Dreamliner at least once a day. Uh, it's done by ANA Wings, which is yeah, their regional. Exactly. Uh, Hong Kong Express, which is an A320 services, which is what we took. Japan Airlines, and my favorite airline in the world, just for its name, Japan Transocean Air. Uh, no, I thought it was no familiar. man. I, tra I don't. There's something like so fictionally wonderful about Japan Transocean like Air. The, like the island of Lost, you know, remember that yes, TV show? Yes, that's what it is. Maybe something? Uh, uh, and maybe. then, yes, Peach fly to Osaka uh, and then Solo Seed as well. So lots because of Peach is an adorable airline, guys. We'll talk about it one day because we never had the chance. Anyway, go on, So, so it's, a, it's quite a busy airport. It, it's open only for 13 hours a day. The terminal itself is like if you and I had designed an airport terminal, like incredible food, but like fast food, a little Starbucks, uh, a lot of little gifts, things, a huge aquarium, and then a huge open air observation deck. 
So you can go out there and you can stand in the sunshine or in the shelter, depending what the weather's doing, and watch the comings and goings of these of these nice. airplanes. The international terminal is basically a little trailer <laughs> um, because <laughs> it's used so one flight a day. Yeah. So you basically you check in and they tell you to go away until a specific time. You go back into the domestic terminal, enjoy all the wonderful food and amenities there, and then at this given time you go through. Uh, security into this little tiny holding area you walk across the the ramp onto the uh, onto the plane and and you're away but it was it's perfect i mean it was the model of japanese efficiency but with the laid back vibe of the rest of okinawa prefecture so yeah it was it was great unless you're in asia it's kind of a pain in the butt to get to you either have to go via japan obviously mainland japan or um hong kong you have to rent a car in ishigaki otherwise you are not going to experience it at the level that, that you could. The good thing is, is that there are loads of rental cars. They're unbelievably cheap, so it's easy to get around. I don't want any of you to go to Ishigaki because I want it all for myself, <laughs> which you should in turn interpret as a overt and passionate recommendation for a wonderful, wonderful place. The airport is easy. <clears throat> you know what? One of my, you know, and I, I, I bitch about the UK a lot, but one of the things that I think the UK should be most proud of is its queuing culture. I wish every country in the world did it. The Japanese, I think, would uh, would rival the British or at least appreciate their attentiveness yeah. to the queue. And yeah. even when we landed, this queue formed itself for, and it sort of snaked back and forth automatically. There was no one doing it you know when you're going through immigration which was fast and easy and straightforward and everybody was so nice yeah, it was that's oh. japan super efficient did, did they have a, a belt for the, your luggage no <laughs> oh, okay no because that's the one thing in japan i think i said it already when we're talking either about narita or i think it was haneda how when you are the belt J japan is so good because you know they even orient the luggage to be all in the same direction with the handle in front of you yeah. so you don't well, have to reach out that's the thing that they out. did here like there was a tiny little <sighs> belt but by the time we got through immigration they'd already taken everything off and lined it all up and it ah, was this is, yeah, yeah and it, japan it was japan uh, japan it was yeah, japan. everybody was so friendly and it spoke English at the airport. Hardly anybody spoke English in Ishigaki, but, you know, that's fine. I was just totally enamored with, with Ishigaki as an airport and as a town. Uh, I just, wow. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Well, you know, when I, when I knew I was leaving Japan, so now that takes me back because it was 2009. So I knew I had like a month or two and I said I was about to move to the Philippines. So I said, well... I need to go to the southern bit of Japan. I took like five trains, a night train, two Shinkansen, a regional train. In 22 hours, I'm from Tokyo to Kagoshima, which is the southern tip of Japan, if you remove the region you were in. So now what it remains to do for me is to actually go to Ichigaki, although you just told me not to, I will. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> uh, because I really want to, I really want to see that. Yeah, That's, and there's a, uh, it's, there's it's a, a part of Japan I don't know because yeah, I've never seen that tropical side of Japan. It's, so I, I really want. It's amazing, and there's a group of about five or six islands that are all accessible via ferry in you know 45 minutes to three hours that you can go and explore as well. Some of them have no no cars on them, like Chungchao and and Lama in Hong Kong. Lama's got a few, but it's it's just so chill. My wife and kids fell in love with it. I was so impressed. My youngest son, of course 
love the airport with the observation yeah. <laughs> observation deck and all that. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk about Hong Kong Express next time because we're reaching. We have too much to say. Hong Kong Express. I'm going to talk because I, I gave a hint at the beginning about uh, London Bing Hill Airport. Also, the yes. next episode, guys, you'll have to know why I did that. That was quite a, the, the extraordinary story. I'll also talk one day because it's interesting since we were talking about another airport in Japan about the airport law in Japan. There's a reason. It's a bit complex. The reason there's not that many uh, flights that you're put in a trailer as well. It's a very complex law. Maybe one day I'll have. Or maybe I'll invite someone to talk about it. There's so much stuff, guys. We're sorry we didn't record for five weeks. Uh, we really hope we're going to record soon. Where are you flying next, Alex? Hong Kong. That's in two weeks, Hong right? Hong Kong and then back to Paris. Yeah, that's uh, just in just under two weeks. Okay, so let's try. I'm not going to promise. For me, it's going to be Hong Kong just now uh, for, uh, for five days. Then I'll have Athens twice in a row for two weeks. And then again, Madrid, uh, Milan. I'm going to test Linate for once. Uh, oh. And I'm yeah, and I have another long haul. So I'll try and I'll promise you guys is to... Put this one on the air as fast as I can. I'll try maybe to get some sound bites of the Ak Horizon thing, the Akathon in the plane. That'd to, be great. Uh, fill up an episode as well, because I know there will be very cool people. I cannot tell you about it. There could be people from Skyscanner and stuff. So well, I'll invite them all to talk with us anyway, of course. And we'll try, Alex and myself, to find a time, which is always our biggest <laughs> problem, yeah. within before he flies to Hong Kong, to talk about my experience with Finair on the 350 and whether or not it was getting queasy because it was taking a picture of the... Uh, yeah, I'd love to see if you have the same experience that I did. <laughs> On that, guys, happy travels. Safe travels, guys.